Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. My name is Val Hughes, and uh, the show is going to be a little different this week, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we uh, have had some changes since the last show, and frankly, uh, I've moved. So I'm now a West Coast resident, and as a result, we're going to have some logistics issues with Vern. And uh, I know, I know it's a little sad. It's four years of shows and uh, 200 shows. They're all on iTunes. They're all at the site, www.thevalueguys.com. And when I get back to town, we may end up doing the show quarterly, something like that. Who knows? Uh, meantime, or he also, uh, Vern may put up a show, which I put on the site as well. But the logistics just make it hard to get together. <coughs> and so um, I'm going to do a little uh, bit a different uh, show here. Uh, first of all, um, there's going to be some things that you're used to here at The Value Guys that you will continue to receive. One is three terrific value ideas a week. Um, and then, uh, in addition, maybe uh, maybe a rant or two. You know, who knows? We'll just see if I'm in the mood. Uh, we may visit uh, past recommendations. I've gotten a lot of email on that. And, um, you know... I think that's a terrific idea. We may end up doing some of that. Um, Write-ins, you know, I can always answer questions, val at thevalueguys.com. And then call-ins. Now, we have had some experience in the past with call-ins. Um, the show's taped, so it's hard, but we have done that. We may do that uh, again. Um, but mainly... We're going to forge ahead. The show will be a little different. Uh, Vern's not here. And, uh, you know, for what it's worth, uh, there's going to be a lot less annoying banter. For those of you that write in and don't like that, there'll be a lot more stock ideas and talking about stocks. Now, on the negative, it's just going to be me talking. And so, you know, I mean, frankly... Uh, that may cause you to be turning the show off. If uh, if you like hearing shows with two guys, then, um, you know, my inspiration for the show was Car Talk, and they're on. Also, you could listen to them. I don't think they talk about stocks, so that may be the edge that we continue to enjoy over that show, as good as that show is. So uh, three ideas this week from Val. Uh, I'm going to go in uh, page number order, um, which uh, I invented here on the show. Uh, first up is um, Harris Corp. Uh, this week is the January 8th, 2010 edition of the show, uh, whatever the show is. And I want to wish everyone a happy new year. Um Obviously, 2009 was a fabulous year if you were a value investor. We run three uh, composites in the shop, and we had uh, just terrific uh, results. I think the lesson uh, that we took out of it was you got to stick to your strategy. Um, for those investors that, you know, in the dark days of 
08 and early 09, you know, when you really, I think on the, on the show we were talking about standing as far back from the windows as possible. We certainly did that. But, you know, now I can sort of unlock the windows again, open up the blinds. It's safe. And so, um, but the point is you had to be invested during those periods. I mean, if you went to a uh, timing strategy of feeling uh, a little nervous and pulling back your uh, your equity investment, you missed, you know, from the lows in March, uh, you know, nearly a 100% increase depending on what strategy you were in. Uh, certainly 50% off the lows was pretty typical. And um, and I think if you timed it or mistimed it, you know, you, you could have missed a lot of that move um, just by missing it by a few weeks. <laughs> Oh, excuse me. Um, one thing I should point out here is it's morning, and so um, you know I'm I'm not at work, so this is for entertainment purposes only. And I probably should go back and put some caveats in, like um, I may uh, overlook some important element of the stock. It's for entertainment purposes only. Uh, this is the same professional work I do during the week, but here I might be you know, a little bit more casual. It's uh, Sunday morning, and uh, it's uh, it's actually my brother's birthday today. So, happy birthday. Um, so, let's see, where am I? I I'm getting very disorganized. I, I want to do a quick rant, just something I'm going to probably do. I don't have to look far these days to find a topic. Uh, right now, uh, and I have ranted on this before, it's just health care. And, uh, you know, I think my main problem with this, from a strategic 30,000-foot point of view, I mean, let's not get into the, you know, uh, retreat of liberty and those kinds of things that, you know, you might talk about. But um, from an economics point of view, one of the advantages of free markets is that uh, you eliminate the notion that any a uh, genius individual is smart enough to know how to allocate resources um, as inputs to all the myriad of products and services that a uh, you know a mature economy might need, um, and that's step one um, as to why it makes sense. And then, as you have millions of individuals each making decisions about how to allocate their own uh, savings as an investment to perhaps help their family or their wealth. Uh, they're going to try very hard to make a product that has features and benefits that the market will want and have a price, namely start with cost, that's below what the competitors, you know, have so that you have a hope of continuing to exist. And I would point out that profits, while they're evil uh, to some, really should be, are mislabeled. It's really a license to continue operating. If you do not earn a profit, uh, then, of course, the money you've invested, you know, looks a lot better in the bank, and then other people will be investing that money, and the bank makes a spread. But if you invest your own money, you need a return in order to continue in business. If you have a 20% piece of the economy going into the hands of government officials to allocate as they see fit, then you're losing this um, incentive to earn a profit. And when you do that, you're generating less wealth, you're generating less growth in GDP. The investment times the return on that investment is growth in wealth. And if you um, hand it off to free market entrepreneurs, you know, they're apt to have a higher return on 
uh, capital, which leads to higher growth over time. So let's say that as a result of taking, you know, a fifth or a quarter of the economy and handing it off to the government, instead of keeping it in the hands of private individuals, you shave a half a point or a point. You know, I don't know. I'm not an economist. But let's say GDP would have grown at 3%, and instead, because of the massive misallocation of resources, um, you grow at 2.5%. Well, if you do the math on this, and, you know, listeners know I don't have a calculator here handy, but if you go out 20 or 30 years, you know, the age of your young children or grandchildren when they're trying to buy a house or a car, the wealth per capita is simply going to be lower, and the calculation is simply uh, 1.03 raised to the 30th power um, minus 1 versus 1.025 raised to the 30th power minus 1. And when you see that growth, um, and let's see what it might be. I'll make a guess that in one case it's, you know, 150%, and in one case it's 100%, which means that somewhere along the line 50% of current GDP per capita will be lost over a lengthy period, 30 years admittedly, but that's someone's child that can only own a smaller home, a smaller car, uh, fewer vacations, and, you know, uh, less medical care as well because they won't have the wealth for it. So that's my rant. It's kind of a sleepy rant today because I'm sleepy and it's morning. But um, I think that uh, the biggest concern I have is that you'll lay in a permanent reduction in GDP growth as a result of uh, putting enormous resources into the hands of people who are not allocating it on a best use, best cost basis. And as a result, um, you get out into the out years, you're going to have less GDP per capita uh, for our children and children's children. Um, so uh, we have to stop it. We have to stop it. Ultimately, I think it appears that a lot of states' attorneys general are um, lining up to, to sue on the basis of an unfair treatment for their state. And so this may be tied up for a while. But, um, you know, my rant isn't really political as much as um, noticing that the wealth for all will be reduced if we put more of the resources into the hands of um, non-profit-seeking uh, owners versus profit-seeking. Okay, so there's my rant. Let's see. Three stock ideas this week. Um, how's my time? Geez, I'm pretty well into the show already. Uh, three ideas out of Value Line. I'm just reading Value Line. I read it every week. It's after hours. It's a good discipline to get into. If you're an investor, just a page through Value Line or, you know, Morningstar, for that matter, is a good resource as well. Um, and you'll find that over a number of years you become very familiar with a lot of stocks, which is something that a lot of value guys do. All right, Harris Corp. First up this week, page 1333. Uh, what do I like about Harris Corp? Well, first of all, the valuation. This is what always attracts me initially. Uh, stock trading at 12 times earnings, a 30% discount from the market PE. You get a teeny yield here, 2%, but, you know, lately that's kind of what the bank pays. So uh, that's not terrible either. I look at a long history of returns on capital that are um, 
you know, starting in the high single digits 10 years ago and moving into the teens, upper teens, uh, over the last five years, that's impressive. It means to me, particularly if you do what I like to call incremental analysis, if you look at the increase in capital, or the delta, if you will, the increment, and the increment in earnings, operating earnings, then you're taking a look at um, what the new opportunity is that's driving their growth. And I think in the case of Harris, um, I believe that they have found that the government ends up making a very good customer for a whole host of um, communication systems. And um, they at one point had a semiconductor business, but they, they sold that off 10 years ago. So if you thought about them as a manufacturer of semiconductors, that's over. Um, you know, Value Line doesn't really tell me the single product that is driving this, um, but it must be systems that they're selling to large commercial customers and governments, and uh, they must be doing it very well, or the returns on capital would not be rising so uh, significantly. They lever the balance sheet a little bit, and they drive returns on equity in the upper teens, low 20s. Last year, high 20s, which, again, very impressive. Um, the enterprise value of the company, if I look at this as a, an earnings yield approach to valuation, I'm going to look at enterprise value, which is the market value of the company, shares of stock, total shares out times the price. According to Value Line, that's $6.3 billion, and I'm not going to really look at the calculation. I uh, you know, this is Monday's closing price. I don't know what Friday's was. Um, I'm going to add debt into that. So $6.3 billion, $1.2 billion, that's uh, $7.5 billion. I'm going to subtract a couple hundred million in cash, $7.3 billion. And I've got an EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. It's trying to reflect a cash flow uh, to the owners prior to... Um, you know, basically capital spending and working capital needs. And so that might reflect an earnings yield, cash on cash return, meaning the cash I invest is going to be about uh, whatever I just said, $7.3 billion. And the cash I earn is going to be about 20% of $5 billion or $1 billion. So I'm going to earn $1 billion on a $7 billion, $7.5 billion total investment. And one over seven is about what? 14%. So that's a 14% cash on cash return. If I invest 7.5 billion and I get a billion back, there's my return. That's uh, you know, uh comparable to a bond yield or um any sort of cash yield assuming we bought the whole company. Now, we're not going to actually do that. We probably most listeners don't have the money and neither do I. But that's sort of underscore to the valuation, you know, helps the market eventually approach that level either because you think a buyer is going to come in or you think that, um, you know, there might, there might be uh, uh, some sort of bid for the company, what have you. Ultimately, the potential for a cash buyer to come in and earn that sort of yield is what keeps the market value, um, you know, from getting too crazy. And when it does, I think that's when you have to come in, use patience as a tool. At 14%, um, you know, I have a lot of room to wait on this one. I'm also getting a little bit of growth. According to Value Line, they're going to grow 7%. So 
So, you know, a back-of-the-envelope type evaluation on something like this would simply be the earnings yield plus growth, which is going to get me 14% in the earnings yield and around 7% in growth. So I'm looking at a 20% type of compound return here over time. And if it all happens in one year, that's when I would, you know, sell it and have a price target. When you look at these sorts of expected returns, it's meant to, you know, mean over a horizon, over a, a holding period that in my case might be three to five years. On the other hand, if it doubles in one year, it's going to approach a full value and I'd, I'd probably sell it. Um, that's about all I have on this Harris Corp. Worth a look. I have talked about it before. I did uh, actually quite a bit less work on this than I was hoping to. I, I hardly have any notes written here whatsoever. Uh, but according to Value Line, they've received a plethora of new orders. Uh, bookings in the radio frequency segment were especially healthy. U.S. Department of Defense is buying uh, all kinds of tactical radios. Foreign orders are big. So a lot of good news. Um, and even Value Line rates at 2 which was raised on uh, January 1st. So Harris Corp, ticker HRS. Next up this week, I've got uh, a company that I had never heard of called Technotrol, ticker TNL. Um, again, valuation attracts me. Value line rates this four. The stock has really had a difficult time over the last few years. They are a global producer of precision-engineered passive magnetics-based electronic components and electrical contact products and materials. Wow. So I don't really know what they do. Um, they have an electronic components group formerly known as Pulse and a couple of other things, uh, 20,000 employees, foreign revenues, 88% of the business. So I like that. Um, obviously, they're doing something, you know, pretty tricky. I don't want to get too technical here, but um, a lot of tricky electronics. Um, unlike Harris Corp., they do not sport a particularly attractive return on capital. They uh, peaked out in the low teens. They tend to be in the sort of high single digits. Uh, and even returns on equity are, you know, they're in the, Teens, normally, they've been beat up in 09, 13% estimated for 2010. So what caught my eye about this? Um, well, first, the P.E. on the surface is 12. So when I see a low valuation, that's going to get my interest. I'm going to read about it a little bit anyway. Then I get into this thing, and I'm like, hmm, they've got a business here. If you look in the value line, there was a big equity decline between 07 and 08. Sometimes that reflects a buyback. It's not the case here. And so what happened? Well, you go in and you look like uh, they did a reorg, reorganization. So they took a business they feel is bad. They'd like to sell it, but it's not selling. But the accountants allow you to just set that aside as discontinued operations, pretend it's not really there in your financials. It appears that um, they're in the process of selling this for $200 million, and yet it's not yet getting into the balance sheet that Value Line is showing. And so if I have $200 million about to come in, that's going to affect my enterprise value. The results that I'm looking at in terms of PE and such are already excluding discontinued operations. So this thing that's not adding to earnings in these uh, financials, 
are, are about to earn me $200 million. Well, the company has um, 41 million shares, so that's interesting. $200 million is $5 a share that's coming in. The stock's at 4 so that seems interesting. Uh, they do $11 a share in sales right now, and they're putting up a roughly a 10% operating margin. So they're earning a roughly a buck per share in operating earnings, which in and of itself, even if it's a bad company, might be worth 3 or $4, right? And then I got $4 coming in, or 5 I can't even do the, the math. So I'm like, hmm. So the proceeds, according to Value Line, the proceeds from the sale are going to pay off all the debt. The company has $127 million in total debt. Uh, they got $200 million in cash coming in. So they will be debt-free. According to Value Line, again, this is probably right, the market cap right now is $175 million. I add in the debt, $127, that's $300 million. I subtract the cash, that's $39 million. Well, if I can subtract another $200 million in cash net, I'm going to take away uh, all the enterprise value here, basically. Um, we're going to end up with about uh, $70 million in enterprise value. And according to Value Line, they're going to put up operating earnings of $40 million because the discontinued operations would probably contribute to a loss in any case or not showing up here. So... I've just happened to look at something in between financial statements when they didn't have the cash and they're going to get the cash, and it looks like it's trading at about 1.7 times EBITDA, which, um, you know, is a, is a, I guess if I do the inverse of that, um, I'm going to have something that uh, is a pretty high return, probably in the, what, 1.7, so... Um, I can't even do the math. Fifty percent, something like that. I wish I had a calculator. Sixty. Any case, it's not going to stay that way, and I don't think the bankruptcy risk here is very high. They owe uh, ten million in interest per year right now, but they're going to pay that off, so not going to have an issue. Uh, pension pension obligations, which sometimes can trip you up, you know, is forty million. So they have enough left over to pay for that. Um. What else? I guess uh, they upset investors a little bit, according to Value Line, for having the gall of uh, putting out a convertible at seven at a seven percent coupon. So they overpaid a little bit. Um, that convert uh, adds seven point eight million shares. So even if somehow it's not added in here, you know, the cheaper something is, the less you really need to know. Uh, and I could add this convert back into the share count. It's still two times EBITDA. So uh, I like that. According to Value Line, um, there's a market recovery on the way. And the types of products these guys sell, looks like my guess is a lot to China, um, you know, are apt to be in the upswing. So Value Line has this rated four, probably because the chart looks terrible. The high in 06 was $32, and right now it's at 4 The low back in March was 1 when, you know, people thought no bank would ever loan any money again. Royce & Associates, a uh, very well-regarded value shop for, you know, forever, 
owns 7%. Um, Bruce Karsh owns 8%. And I don't know who that is, if it's a company or a person. Um, but there are some strongholders. Officers and directors own 1.2%. Haven't been any insider buys, which I would love to see. And according to Value Line, growth rates going forward are apt to be nil. So I'm not sure I completely buy that. Um, over the history of the company, most years they grow revenue. So could this be a down year? Sure. But uh, is uh, 1.7 times EBITDA a cheap price? Yeah. So Technotrol, page 1344. And then finally this week, ladies and gentlemen, a stock I have done many times. Um, I don't pretend to know anything more about this than anyone else knows. It's international business machines. And the one thing I do know is this company's been around uh, for a long time. Um, I think it, uh, it really began with the uh, winning of a contest by a gentleman, a gentleman named uh, Hollerinth. Uh, for a machine that could uh, do the census, could uh, help count cards back in, uh, I think, 1890, maybe. So that's where the punch card came from, et cetera. And they helped uh, invent the PC and populated the earth with, with it. Uh, the big mistake they made, of course, is they let Microsoft own the operating system and they let Intel own the chips. Otherwise, you could take the market cap of Microsoft and Intel, and add it into uh, IBM's already $170 billion market cap. I don't know how big Microsoft is offhand, but um, it's probably $100 billion, and Intel $100 billion. So, um, you know, clearly a big chunk of the world economy uh, has, a, 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 you know, a debt of gratitude to IBM. Of course, over the years, IBM has morphed from being a, a big computer company, which of course they still are. Uh, the company does uh, 90 billion in sales. The market cap is 173 billion. So it's a big company. Um, but over the last, let's say, 10 years, they've migrated an increasing uh, percentage of their revenues into software, which have um, you know higher returns on capital. And so you look at a hundred billion dollar company here in revenue. They're putting up amazing returns. They're putting up 30% returns on capital. They lever it a little bit, well, a fair amount, actually, 50% to uh, debt to capital. But because their margin's so high, a 50% debt to capital still leads to 14 times interest coverage. In other words, if you take their total operating earnings divided by the amount of interest that they owe on the debt they have, it's 14 times covered. So... Um, the risk, obviously, if they lose money, it's not covered, but it just gives you a sense of uh, the enormous cushion they have in their cost of capital versus their returns on capital, which are running in the 30s. With the debt they have, uh, they're pushing return on equity into the 50s. Last year, Estimated this year to be 70. It's unbelievable. Um, they do consistently uh, use excess cash to buy stock back and... Um, it looks like they have a little bit of a cash flow cushion in depreciation in that they're depreciating about $5.2 billion a year, and yet their capital spending is, uh, looks like, 
according to value line, three fifty a share on a billion three. That's four billion. So they've got an extra billion a share, a billion a year in cash flow. It's about a buck a share. That is uh, excess cash flow. Uh, enterprise value to EBITDA on this one. If we bought the whole company, we pay one hundred and seventy billion for the stock. Uh, we take out the debt, twenty five billion. It would be offset by cash of eleven billion. It's about one hundred and Eighty-seven billion in total uh, enterprise value, and according to value line, I'm just going to make the math easy. Call it twenty, twenty-five percent, twenty percent on a hundred billion in revenue is about uh, twenty billion. So I'm looking at about nine times EBITDA uh, to uh, own the company. If I look at the inverse of that, one over nine, eleven percent. That's my cash on cash return. And again, according to value line, they're going to grow. 10 to 12 percent. So I got my 11 percent cash on cash. I got 12 percent from growth, 20 percent type of returner. It's IBM. Um, in my opinion, we're moving into the part of the capital spending cycle. You know, no one bought anything in 09 and they stopped buying anything in the latter part of 08. So uh, this should be a pretty good year. The stock does reflect that. I have to admit uh, the stock's at 132 now. You could have paid uh, 69 for the stock last fall. So it really is almost already doubled. It was an enormous opportunity then, and I do think we were talking about it. But it's not over. It's at a 20% discount to the average stock. It's putting up numbers that are vastly superior to the average stock, and so probably make a pretty good core holding uh, in any portfolio. And so with that, uh, that's all I have this week. You know, uh, we're back in 2010 here, and... Uh, I appreciate you listening in. We'll we'll be back again next week with the Value Line Observer. Thank you, everybody.